Wabi Sabi and the Poetry of Imperfection, an essay by Matt Ruby. That's me. We need vocals auto-tuned. We need sitcoms laugh-tracked. We need talk show audiences pumped up with applause signs. We need writing apps like Hemingway to murder any extraneous syllables. We need our brows Botoxed and our photos filtered. Because heaven forbid we are forced to endure anything pitchy, a lagging beat, a joke that doesn't land, a split second of silence, anything less than supreme enthusiasm, an extra adjective, crow's feet, or wrinkles. We want perfection. Except we don't. We all see through it. It's not real perfection. Those robotic music tracks lack soul. Faces look most attractive when they can still express human emotions. We clock the difference between fake and genuine smiles. Curb Your Enthusiasm is way funnier than, say, Big Bang Theory, because one lets you laugh when you want to, while the other forces you to laugh right now. Plastic surgery doesn't make people look young. It just makes them look like they're wearing a stretch-too-tight mask of a younger version of themselves. And imagine if you suggested something like the Hemingway app to Ernest Hemingway himself. He'd probably choke you. So why all this make-it-seem-perfect nonsense? Fear. We're afraid of displaying our faults or anything that reeks of mistakes. So we choose the compression of fakery as a way to get over. I lie and you lie, and then we all pretend we don't see each other's lies. But it's not working. And there's another way. Wabi Sabi. According to artist and writer Mike Horry, Wabi Sabi is, quote, about finding the beauty and imperfection and experiencing an awareness of the transience of things. It's a concept rooted in Japanese culture and Zen Buddhism. According to author Taro Gold, it acknowledges three simple realities. One, nothing lasts. Two, nothing is finished. And three, nothing is perfect. I've been a fan of this concept for a while. Let me share a few steps on my own personal wabi-sabi journey. I've had a chipped front tooth since an accident in second grade gym class. And for years, I had a cap on it and my teeth looked, you know, pretty much perfect. And then one day I was in Peru and the altitude was screwing with me and for some reason I sneezed super hard and then I looked in the mirror and noticed my cap had fallen off. There I was, face to chipped tooth with what I really look like and without access to my dentist for another month. So I lived with it. And by the time I got home, I just figured this is how I look now. No one really cares anyway. It's character, I figured. You know, Omar on the wire, he's got his scar. Meanwhile, me, I've got my chipped tooth. Then my hair started falling out. I'm a cool, like, rock and roll dude. I can't have that, right? So I started taking Propecia and buying shampoos that promised, quote, regeneration. But then I began wondering, when was this ever going to end? Do I really want to spend the rest of my life subscribing to some sort of cover-up? Eventually, I said, screw it and just grab the clippers. Now I just shave it all off. Honestly, I do miss my hair, but, you know, that was then and this is now. Time marches on and I'm already involved in enough lifelong fights that I know I'm going to lose. I'm glad I let this one go. Another one. I recall recording vocals back when I was the singer in a band. We wanted to make an album with a hit song so we could get radio airplay and get signed and all that. So we really labored over the vocals, trying to get them perfect. We wanted to eliminate our rough edges and our day jobs 
So we hired a producer who'd made hits before and owned a studio filled with expensive gear. And he repeatedly punched in and out while I sang, going syllable by syllable in an attempt to get everything to sound perfect. I remember when we were done, I sent the mix of the new album to this industry bigwig who had really liked our previous record, and he didn't respond at all. I finally got him on the phone and asked him what he thought. He said, I'm not sure what this guy did to your vocals, but they don't sound like you. You guys had a weird charm on the last album. This just sounds generic. I hung up dazed. It took so much effort to achieve that polished sound. Aiming for rough and raw, that would have been so much easier. In retrospect, the right move would have been to leave it a little bit raw. Rock and roll, it's all about leaving in the rough edges and capturing that pure emotion, that feeling in the moment. You know, the mistakes are the interesting parts. That's what makes it you. Wrong notes, in moderation anyway, they're actually the right ones. Or as Leonard Cohen sang, There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It was right around then that I first stumbled onto the concept of wabi-sabi. Quote, pare down to the essence, but don't remove the poetry. Keep things clean and unencumbered, but don't sterilize. End quote. That's the advice of wabi-sabi guru Leonard Koren. Beauty is doomed to disappear. And that's okay. Instead of fighting it, we should recognize how, in many ways, things become more beautiful as they age and fade. Real perfection means leaving in a few mistakes and letting the reality of nature have a seat at the table. Sometimes it even means emphasizing the cracks. Kintsugi, not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's a Japanese technique for repairing broken objects with gold powder. Instead of throwing away damaged ceramics, cracks are filled in prominently so a viewer can find beauty in the passage of time. There's a lesson there, too. You can experience trauma and come back even more beautiful. It's not a scar, it's a feature. Author George Saunders has described how wabi-sabi influences his writing process. He writes, quote, One of the dangers of overworking something is that it can come to feel, well, overworked. The reader or viewer may feel left out of the process, as if the artist was performing for himself or herself only. End quote. This concept resonated with me recently as I was filming my Substance comedy special, which involved doing four sets on four substances, sober, drunk, high, and shrooms. I kept having to ask myself questions. Why am I doing this? Do I want to do material or do I want to riff? Do I want to present honed-crafted bits or do I want to see what arises in the moment? What kind of comedy do I truly love? Should I strive to be in control or surrender to the moment? And which one of those ways is selfish and which one is selfless? The conclusion I came to, after both rough and great sets, is the answers are fluid. When things are too tightly controlled, it feels claustrophobic. When they're too loose, it's ramshackle. With stand-up, each moment is giving you feedback about whether you need to tighten up or let it go. You're trying to catch a wave and see how long you can ride it. But also, it's up to you to create those waves in the first place. So it's a constant process of dialing in what you want. It's usually pretty lame when a stand-up set feels completely unprepared. But I also don't like it when you pound a set into the ground until it feels lifeless. What I want is preparation meets spontaneity. How much? It's shifting all the time and depends on the moment. The goal be extraordinarily prepared, but completely open to happy accidents. 
you get it right by constantly adjusting to all the things that inevitably go a little bit wrong. Because were they actually wrong? Or is perfectionism just another form of ego? I once visited the temples of Angkor Wat in Cambodia. For centuries, these temples were covered over in growth. The forest had won. And then they were discovered, cleaned, and opened to the public. Visiting them is a mind-blowing experience, especially the main temple, which is enormous and feels otherworldly. However, the temple site that stuck with me the most is a much smaller one. It's one they left wild. There, the trees weren't cleared away. Instead, they dance with the stones. They grow in, around, and through the site, evoking what it must have been like when explorers stumbled upon it centuries ago. Man meets nature. And this time, nature was allowed to win. At no point while I was there did I wish they had cleared the trees away. Instead, I was thankful that, out of the dozens of temple sites, this one was left natural. Roots and trunks were allowed to run roughshod over the structure. And something about that makes that site feel even more special, like it represents the beauty in the relationship between time, man, and nature. Wabi-sabi, baby. Now it's time to bring in producer Jeremiah McVeigh. Hey, Jeremiah. Hey, Matt. So I guess I want to kind of talk about the other side of, of this because, you know, you're talking about imperfection. So let's let's dive into like perfection, you know, a, a little bit. Have you ever considered yourself at any point in your life before you adopted this philosophy a perfectionist? Because like I've heard, you know, perfectionism used I don't want to say as an excuse because I do think there's a correlation, but as as a reason, I guess, for procrastination. It's a it's a reason that people never finish things, and if they're an artist or trying to be an artist, it's a reason that they never actually fulfill that goal of, of whatever their art is and actually release it into the world. And I know you you're someone who uh, strikes me as being prolific from knowing you and seeing what you do. You do a lot of stuff, and it's all entertaining. So did you have a perfectionism you had to let go of to get to that point? Yes. Well, I, I think I'm a control freak and <laughs> I think there's a lot of overlap between control freakness, ego and perfectionism. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, it's something, there's a book I really like called the war of art by Steven Pressfield. And he talks a lot about, um, perfectionism and kind of relabels it as a form of resistance, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think ties in with what you're saying. A lot of times that perfectionism is like an excuse to hold things back, to not put things out in the world, to keep honing things. For me, the perfect example is Chinese Democracy, that Guns N' Roses album that Axel worked on for like 11 years. And it's like, I don't think after year five, this album's getting any better. I think what's actually happening is this is a manifestation of mental illness under the guise of like, no, I just need it to be perfect. And I think some form of that happens a lot within creativity and, and putting things out in the world. I also think sometimes the best way to judge a piece of art or whatever you're creating is by getting real world feedback. And you know that sooner 
then later by releasing it to the world. Or I, I think this part of why I love stand up so much is you get to iterate. So you get to put something out, you know, quickly, even like it could be the same day that you thought of it and you see how an audience responds and then you can kind of hone it over time and repeat it and craft it, which is obviously harder to do if you're a filmmaker or something like that. But even within that, maybe you can create some some cheap you know, sort of quickie version of a film and just get to something real and get feedback and you're going to have so much more data with which to judge your creation. So um, I, th I feel like that all kind of ties together in my head. But yeah, I think I, for whatever perfectionist tendencies I have, I've always released things that aren't perfect and made things that aren't perfect because I don't think I'm necessarily like the most skillful craftsman in a way that like a lot of times quote unquote perfect stuff is made by and so maybe i was kind of forced into you know sort of ex accepting you know things that are rough around the edges there's some wrong notes in my vocals or some you know joke setups that are a little bit wordy or things like that because you know that's just sort of what comes out of me and i think sometimes you know your best bet is making something that's authentic or something that's the best representation of who you really are we've worked on some projects together over the years and sometimes you're like why don't we just get something out there and we can fix it as we go is kind of the attitude you've had. And so, which I will just admit sometimes can be frustrating and other times I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. And that's great. No, I think you bring up a good point. I think probably my view is also colored by the fact that when I have been a perfectionist, I remember things being so important to me in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then when I've gone back later and looked at a song that I recorded or a, a design that I created or a joke that I told, how little that thing that I was obsessing over actually matters right. in, in right. retrospect. And, I, and time has been a great teacher to me in that way that like, oh, this thing that you think is so important, are you really going to care like five or 10 years from now when you go back and look at this thing? And so often the answer is no. So I try to factor in that like, okay, have that five, 10 years down the road view of it now and realize like, are you communicating like the essential part of what you're trying to get across? And then maybe you can let go of some of those perfectionist tendencies because right. in retrospect, you're really not going to care that much about them. And Really, that means you're just wasting time. Yeah. And I mean, you starting to talk about that five and 10 year uh, retrospective look at, at your work. That reminds me of the idea of like, you know, if you don't dislike what you were doing five years ago, are you advancing in your craft or your art? You know, um, and I guess it also just makes me think of the modern state of things as a creator, whether you're a producer in media or you're an artist of some sort, a comedian, a musician, whatever. Um, it seems to be that the idea that more is better is spreading across all of those landscapes. And I mean, I've heard you kind of touch on it, I think, of, you know, you have to just constantly be churning things out. You have to have something new up on your YouTube channel just to keep people plugged in and interested. Um, and I don't know. It's just the way things are now. Like there's not room for perfection maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's part of why I'm thinking of like, you know, podcasters or YouTubers or influencers. Part of what people are connecting to is that there is this authenticity to them or they do feel like, oh, I feel like this person's my friend or like I really know them because there is sort of this purity to like the when you're uh, Howard Stern is a great example to me of like if you're generating dozens of hours of content every week, eventually the real you is going to come out. Like right. it's, you, you just can't wear a mask for that long unless you're really like some sort of, uh, you know, sociopath, I guess. 
but you know so i think there is something to that of this what we're seeing uh is this like deeper connection that people are feeling for these people who are creating stuff i do think it's uh a little bit rude to audiences though on some level i I think of like you know so you have comedians who are podcasting and putting out you know you know, five to 10 hours of content every week versus, you know, a comedian like George Carlin who would hone one hour of material for a year and that's it. And, you know, to me, there's something gracious and, and, uh, more selfless in that sort of, uh, artistic release schedule for lack of a better term of like honing something till it's sure. like the best thing it can be and releasing it and then saying nothing unfortunately that seems very out of step with you know the times we live in right now so right that's that's my point is like you can't get away with doing that it seems like anymore like if you just sit on your laurel so to speak and hope that people will still be there when you're ready to put out that thing you honed they might not be i mean some people they will be but if if you're someone on the grind you know is that going to work? Yeah. And there, you know, I don't know if there's any quote unquote right answer here, but like if, if I had to throw something out, it might be sort of being involved in two streams at the same time, which is creating that, that, you know, sort of overflow of content that keeps you on people's radars that they can subscribe to and keep in touch and that you don't get lost, but also trying to have, you know, some tent pole sort of projects or things that you release that you're like, this is one of like the three best things I've done this year. And if you're new to me, start here, or like, this is mm-hmm. something I'm proud of, or the 10 years from now sort of thing. In 10 years, I can look back and be like, I made that and I'm proud of it. And if you want to know who I am and what I was doing, you should look at that. And I think that, you know, I think uh, you have to be aware of your, the context of what's happening in society and, and the the wave that we're all surfing and then also be, you know, cognizant of your own role as a creator of like, what do you really want to make and what are you proud of and what will you be happy down the road that you like kind of focused on and and polished. And now for some quickies. Him. I'm not unemployed, I'm just between jobs. Me? I get that. I'm not crazy. I'm just between therapists. No one goes to the office anymore and everyone has a podcast, so here's a solution. Just turn all the office buildings into podcast studios. It's crazy that we've decided the solution to our economic woes is legalizing weed and sports betting. How did America return to being a great empire? Oh, well, they ate 50 milligram gummies and then took the Grizzlies minus three and a half against the Pelicans. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at hey.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rube's Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. 
And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.